I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, and happy Valentine's Day. Today, we're talking about When Harry Met Sally, the 1989 film, written by Nora Ephron, directed by Rob Reiner. I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Arand. Hello, everyone. Writer Brian Bittner. Hello. And editor Alex Cayeros. Hello. So, this is one of my favorite movies, but beyond that, this is one of the movies that is the reason Lessons from the Screenplay exists. Because way back when, before I started the channel, I was deciding I wanted to read a bunch of screenplays uh, and take a bunch of notes and create like a blog. Um, And one of the screenplays that I wanted to read was When Harry Met Sally, because I was just obsessed with this movie. At the time, I was writing like a rom-com like web series. Uh, and oh, I, I remember just, that. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, about like streamers that were in love. And yeah, long distance relationship thing. Wow. Like, like, like Twitch streamers, <laughs> right? That were in love. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and so I was just like, I've always been obsessed with this movie. After I saw it the first time, and I was like, how is this movie so good? And every time I watched it, and the more I thought about it, I just kept having that thought of like, how is this so good? There's so little external conflict like all the things that kind of drive me crazy about normal rom-coms like it's completely absent in this and it's just people talking the whole time and i love it to death start to finish uh and so this was one of the first screenplays that i sat down and read and made a bunch of notes for uh and so it didn't end up being one of the first videos but it was one of the ones that i knew i wanted to do and so valentine's day 2017 is when i did the one harry met sally video three years ago (sighs) time wow time which is another thing when harry mccalli uses super well so i saw this movie uh like mid-college i think Mm -hmm. and it was like randomly on tv one night and i kind of always had heard about when harry met sally and it gets referenced a lot in things and so when it was on i was like all right fine i guess i'll watch this but it's just gonna be one of those rom-coms and then i was just glued to the tv the whole time and it was amazing uh when did you guys see it what has been your relationship with this movie oh boy I saw this movie. It was definitely in college. It would have been 07. And the reason I remember exactly when I saw it is because I was, I watched it with a guy that I had a huge crush on. And of course, it's like a very romantic movie. And it was his suggestion, of course. And he was like, I love this movie. This movie's so great. You'll really love the writing and like everything. And sure enough, it's just so enchanting. And the performances are just so delightful to watch and but then yeah the more that you watch it the more you're just like how does this exist it's such a smart screenplay and again what you're talking about it doesn't seem like it follows certain rules Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i I can't remember when i first saw it actually it might have been at your recommendation Mm. uh because i think i i didn't see it in high school or college i don't think i think it was after that but it was still in like my early 20s where i wasn't i think adult enough yet to to really fully appreciate it the way I do now. Right. I think like now that I'm in my thirties and that's the age they are by the end of the movie is kind of early thirties. Now I really get it. And I really, I really, really loved my most recent viewing of it in a way that I didn't appreciate it the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a movie that ages well as you age. If you see it when you're like in high school, you haven't really lived life enough yet to get. At, yeah. 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 It, Cause it gets at these amazing adult life experience things so accurately and so well that until you've lived them, you don't understand how well it does it. <laughs> well, know? it was reminding me of when we were talking about before sunset, that experience of like when you watch those three movies, as you get older, you relate to the people in different right. ways. And so yeah. the fact that they cram all of this into this one movie really effectively so that 
depending on where you are in life, you take away different things from it. Absolutely. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think I watched it in college when uh, I was just sort of catching up on a lot of like, these are movies you should be seeing. But I think I had also recently watched Annie Hall. And oh. I really like Annie Hall. And it was just weird to me how much When Harry Met Sally borrows from it or hmm. either borrows on purpose or is just very familiar. Um, you, you have these very this very realistic dialogue. But then sometimes the movie gets a little cartoony. Annie Hall, definitely more than, than this one. Yeah. Over time, like characters go in and out of relationships. They get married and divorced. There's like that real sense of it. And then It Had to Be You is in both movies, which yeah. is like that's the, that's the moment where I'm like, OK, this can't be a coincidence. Like there's like, you know, the posters are like them like walking through Central Park in both movies. Right. Um, so I think I just sort of felt like, oh, this just feels like a sort of like new take on Annie Hall. And now over the years that I've had time to like separate those thoughts, I still see those those similarities but i can just appreciate when harry met sally for what it is um so yeah i love the movie it was just a weird sort of initial experience with See, i think a movie that borrows more from annie hall is 500 days of summer sure like i think 500 days of summer is charming and fun to watch but it's very much like it messes with the cinematic form Mm -hmm. and i guess there's a tiny bit of that where you have these interviews and when harry met sally but mostly i think it's a straight ahead movie in a way that annie hall is kind of not right uh also the original script of um when harry met sally they actually weren't supposed to end up together they were just going to be friends which is spoiler how annie hall ends so it's like again just yeah yeah that's interesting but a lot of movies borrow from annie hall including many woody allen movies (laughs) right exactly <laughs> Again, so you mentioned the old people interviews, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's just one of the many things we could talk about. There are just so many clever uses of techniques, and uh, the old people as you know, it's just these cute You're painting with a broad brush. There, they're mature relationships. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> elderly, when I, wise. When I saw it as a twenty-something, it was like the old people interviews. Um, I mean, they are older. Like yeah, everybody like... except for the final interview are in their senior years. Yeah. Okay, I'm just saying. I would say. No, no, no. The thing that I'm bump- the thing that I'm bumping on actually is just that all of those couples feel really distinct to me, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. which I think is a triumph of the movie, right? You have these, I don't know, however many five or six couples it is, and while they might all be in similar stages in life, they all sort of feel like they're in very different relationships, and they feel very distinct. Yeah. And so, like, you don't want to just say. You have six couples that are, you know, because they're in whatever decade they're in, they're the same. They're definitely not. Right. right. But I think my favorite one is the one that they got, like, were together and then got divorced. Uh-huh. And, yeah. <laughs> and the, the wife knows all the names yes. of all the girls. Like, there's so much in that yeah. scene, so much subtext. It's so well done. Yeah. Where she just got her lips pursed and she's like, Roberta. <laughs> yeah. I remember her name. Yeah. It's brilliant. I mean, the the only reason to mention their age is they've all been together for right. decades, yeah. you know, and you can't mm-hmm. have that at 25, obviously. Yeah. And I just love that they're, you know, used to kind of both like individually frame our expectations for whatever little chunk of the story we're about to go mm-hmm. on, but also kind of more, you know, culminating in this idea of like love happens in all these crazy different ways. And it's such an elegant cute way to do that and it was interesting because originally like they actually shot interviews with people and wanted to use real people right. but people aren't concise <laughs> and so turns out yeah 
But then I think comic timing isn't as brilliant. Right. I'm guessing a lot of those talking over each other and saying things at the same time are actually taken. I'm sure they're scripted. And I think that's one thing this movie does beautifully is that sort of it's like blurring the lines between real and scripted, including, you know, they're actually improvising things on the day or just like mm-hmm. something, you know, when he says uh, pecan pie, like she <laughs> starts laughing, she looks off screen and then Rob Reiner's like, go, go with it. And then she just looks back and she keeps going. You that know? moment's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And they just kept it because it's just like, yeah, why wouldn't you just like look off to like see if somebody is looking at her before she says this goofy thing or whatever. And I think that that's one thing I think Rob Reiner in general as a director does really well is just finding that realness to to mm-hmm. a, a scene or to a film it is that and then the other thing i was thinking though is that this movie is very much it's not trying to present itself as this is real life right like mm-hmm. it's very much right. there's, a lot this of is com- a movie. there's a lot of comedy that is very like almost slapstick like when right, carrie like fisher bands. runs off with the guy into the taxi <laughs> right right the, the or comic- the four-way phone call yeah the yeah, comic yeah, timing yeah. is amazing and it, it's, right. it feels like old-fashioned in a really lovely way mm-hmm. in a really right. smart way yeah yeah and i just i appreciate anytime a movie isn't trying to trick me into thinking this is real life right. Right. and it's just saying here's a movie you're watching a movie now have fun watching this fun movie well and when the dialogue is so clever and it's so mm-hmm. well written it's like I, I want you to be a movie i want you to not try to trick me into thinking this is how people actually talk because it's such witty clever dialogue i i I like it how it is you know don't try to make it like quote-unquote real yeah Yeah. when it uses these these kind of gags to punctuate the moments in the story too like you know the wave where billy crystal is there with his friend at the game and like the waves go around the stadium (laughs) well he's telling this terrible story about the worst (laughs) thing that could happen to him yeah it's like it's funny and it's clever but it's also like accentuating these important moments and it's Mm -hmm. just doing all these things at once in a way that's just so effortless it's so like smartly designed writing wise and directing wise and just top to bottom is really really great one of the things i love about the interviews too is the the failure of relationships and how possible like extremely possible even probable failure is to relationships creates this sort of um i think thing that we experience in real life where when we meet people that have been together for 40 years we kind of go how (laughs) right Mm -hmm. this sort of incredulous lean forward how did that happen why did that happen that's so it seems like more and more the exception and not the rule and so by using those sort of like stories that do feel real like we know that there are people who have been together for 40 years and 50 years and however long but we want to kind of like get that into our brains what you were talking about it's almost a foil for these two younger people who are just struggling and struggling in relationships that are failing and then you have this framework of yet sometimes you can make it out like your relationship can like grow out of that somehow like a flower through a sidewalk yeah it's just lovely to know that some people you know that some people have made it and it it provides that framework for hope that even though we've seen them struggle and they might not get together or whatever that there's there are lasting relationships in the world that are possible well the whole movie is kind of a conversation between them about is this actually possible and a lot of the movie it feels like what gets in their way is a protection they're putting around themselves Mm -hmm. of like i'm afraid of what's going to happen to me if i if i go all in 
right and how much pain there could be if it if it doesn't go well yeah and and so the the movie is almost all of them building up to a leap of faith at the end where it's like screw it we're gonna go for it and so there's interesting dialectic of those older couples who have made it who are kind of sweet and old-fashioned in a way and then there's kind of modern cynicism that they bandy back and forth while really just being in love with each other and wanting to be together. <laughs> yeah. But there's this kind of modern cynicism keeping them apart because of the fear. But also that, like the one couple who was together and then wasn't together. Like there is that sense of right. we're, hap- we're happy and we're in love, but it wasn't all just sunshine yeah. and gumdrops. Well, and they're my favorite couple. That, that story, because mm. I think the first two older couples – it is a little almost too fairy tale-ish. It's like, right. I saw her once, then we were married two when weeks later. When we were later. in high school, which yeah. is like wild, <laughs> that, that story. But I love I love that couple where it's like they were they were together, they were divorced, they met again at a funeral, and they got together again. And there's a sweetness at the end of that whole journey, you know? So I, I almost wanted there to be more stories like that in the older couples. Because I think, I feel like three out of the four of them were like, we met when we were you know, 18 and we were together forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, sort of. I think a lot of them are like, we met and then like life sent us in different directions. Mm-hmm. And then somehow mm-hmm. we ended up back together. I like the couple that was like from the same neighborhood, born in the same mm-hmm. hospital and they oh, never yeah. met. That That's a really cute, cute couple. Yeah. 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 Because that is often too, like that, you know, ships passing in the night and you don't have any idea. Right. What it also does, which I love is how it uses time like i think that's yes, what very important makes the relationship feel like believable in some ways to me where like they are kind of like in love with each other the whole time but like only kind of later like when they're younger i feel like you definitely get the sense that neither like they're not ready yet like these I, versions I, I, of I themselves buy that they don't get together till the end right like mm-hmm. i actually watching it again i really understand why they don't right which, yeah which is really impressive because there's some there's a version of this movie where it could just be frustrating yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. where there's really no sense of just just get together there's no reason not to <laughs> like shut up but this movie i uh, watching it again i was like no i understand what's holding you back and, yeah. and why you actually you have a friendship that is actually pretty special and why there's a fear of losing that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the timeline really allows for not only for them to go and be in other relationships and see what the world is like and you know and then also develop a friendship but also for their changing ideals you know yes you have, exactly I think, right twice in the movie a character says oh yeah you said that and they said when did i say that no i right. didn't i know you know and they believed it so hard when they said it the first time and that happens to me all the time i have a pretty good memory and people are like <laughs> you once told me this and i'm like what what an idiot <laughs> and that's the time thing yeah giving yeah, right. enough time for worldviews to change mm-hmm. it feels more true to life and my experience anyway of what makes for a good relationship like mm. a rom-com where you're 20 and you meet another pretty 20 year old but then you know they have a job and they're moving across the country whatever the dumb right. thing is yeah like <laughs> th- that's that's different than there's this person we met there was something there but i wasn't ready we were too young five years later things weren't right it took us 12 years to like mature and become who we were and this version of ourselves are the versions that can love each other and be what they need to be. Well, and that's the interesting thing about the construction of this movie. And I think you did point it out in the video, Michael, but 
So we see this often in rom-coms. Like our best sort of rom-coms are people who start off in completely opposing places in terms of worldview, right? Where like, so we see when we first meet Sally, she's super uptight. She has really rigid ideas about what she wants and who she wants to be and all of this stuff. And then, you know, she just likes things exactly how she likes them and doesn't understand why you would want anything else. And Harry is so laid back and doesn't care about anything really and thinks that people who do care are kind of naive. So it's great. dramatic. Well, and, yeah, and exactly. It's, but it's so enjoyable like their yes. contrast right from the beginning in that road trip oh, is it's, so much fun to watch i mean it's, it's it's actually their character dynamic is set up in literally five seconds yeah. like yeah he gets in the car she says oh i have this whole plan you know we're gonna do in shifts while he like leans over the back to grab uh, you know a bag of grapes and then you know <laughs> she's like you want a grape she says no i never eat between meals like just in in just the frame of her sort of sitting upright and him leaning over with his like ass hanging out like yeah. it's just like okay here's who these characters are moving on and i was thinking too about the choice even earlier than that where she leans on the horn oh, right yeah. where he's mm-hmm. like making out with Whatever. Amanda. <laughs> yeah. Amanda. Amanda Rice. Reese. Reese. Right. Reese. That's what it says. Um, where he's making out and then she like could just wait like a polite person would do. But if her like control freakiness uh-huh. like has to like lean on the horn. It's a, such a simple choice, but it really like gets us, you know, it tells us who Sally is. And all of those, there's like a thousand of those little gestures that really work in that road trip. The yeah. the when she takes out the hairspray and sprays her hair before they go. <laughs> There's so many like eighties, like wonderful eighties so things. Well, it's funny you mentioned the kissing because both that kiss and the kiss in the airport and like the next section, yeah, are such like I feel like eighties, nineties movies kisses where it's mm-hmm. like who actually just stands upright in like business attire right. in a crowded <laughs> airport. Kind of makes out, just but in a kind, weird way. Kind of makes out in like a sterile way for right. like five minutes straight. <laughs> but like, I think that happened in movies a lot. And yeah. I, I think as a kid, I saw movies like this and I was like, oh, that's what kissing is. Right. It's the same way like when you watch Casablanca, which is one of the greatest romances of all time. It's still like old movie kissing. Where right. The lips sort of, are just totally The grabbing together. of the shoulders and shoving the faces together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like kind of like a weird jerky sudden kiss. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Like, did the characters get together or they just did one of them lose a bet? Like, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, it's a classic move to start the characters on completely opposing places. Yeah. And it's also a classic move to have them influence each other so that their arcs, you know, sort of cross in the middle. Usually mm-hmm. there's a place where they're usually there's a place in the middle of a rom-com where they get together, or almost get together, and then they kind of cross back and go the other direction. I like that this movie uses time to do that like it Mm -hmm. doesn't even because in the first few like evolutions of where how we see sally changing and how we see harry changing it's not each other that's doing that it's just the passing of time right it's just how they evolve and so using that as a device to propel a character through an arc where we understand how their different relationships we meet joe for like two seconds Mm -hmm. we basically don't meet helen until much 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 later right right. but they're these sort of like specters off in the gloom that we can just see how they're influencing their our two main characters so it doesn't have to be each other that's forcing 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 Mm -hmm. um and that goes back to if you're gonna do it that way you better be a damn good dialogue writer the dialogue in this movie like i it, I was watching it again. And it was like, so every dialogue scene is good. <laughs> like, like every scene gives me like a like a ah, satisfaction yeah. of like, oh, that was really good. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't think of many other movies where every scene of just two people talking gives me that like 
warm, lovely feeling of goodness. I, I just it's amazing that this movie does it so consistently. It's yeah. not there's not like there's not one standout scene of like, oh, that was the really good dialogue scene. It's the whole movie. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the collaboration too. Like, yes. Mm. yes. It's yes, something yes. we talked about with Linklater and Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy in the Before Trilogy was he said, let's all get together and talk about this scene. What would you specifically do? Not your character, but what would you do? And, you know, one of the best examples is Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner were talking and, and they said, oh, we need to give Sally something to do in this part of the movie. And then she said, oh, uh, or something to talk about. And he said, we could talk about faking an orgasm. And then Meg Ryan said, what if I actually did that? What if I did and that, what if yeah. we did it in a restaurant, like in a public <laughs> place? And then Billy Crystal threw in, I'll have what she's having. And then you have like the greatest scene. Most iconic scene <laughs> yeah. from this movie. And yeah. it wasn't even <laughs> written by the writer and director of the movie. It was basically written by the stars of the movie, yeah. you know, or sort of compiled by everybody. And I think that that's, um, you know, Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal used to actually call each other on the phone and just like watch mm-hmm. TV together and talk. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just this like realness that they're putting into their movie and also letting the actors sort of say whatever their version of that thing is, you know, and that doesn't mean Alex that like, that makes perfect dialogue, obviously, you know, but I think that it comes well, a lot but from it's why, that. It's why the Before Trilogy feels Again? so wonderful because yeah. yeah. it's also a collaboration and, right. and there's a real, real investment by the actors mm-hmm. into yeah. the process. Hello, listener. Michael here, and I want to tell you about a film I recently saw. So this episode of Beyond the Screenplay is sponsored by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. And the film I want to talk about is one that I discovered on Mubi. It's called Last Men in Aleppo. It's a documentary that was nominated in 2018 for an Academy Award about the war in Syria. Last Men in Aleppo follows the daily life of citizens in a city under siege, specifically following a group of people called the White Helmets who have chosen to help those around them. It's full of powerful and startling imagery, as it follows the White Helmets as they rush to the site of the latest bombing and try to save as many victims from the rubble as possible. The film does a masterful job humanizing people that most of us only encounter as brief lines in news articles. But on film, you can see them struggle and cry and smile and laugh. I found myself feeling a great gratitude toward movie for selecting this film and putting it in front of me, because otherwise I honestly would not have seen it, and I'm very glad that I did. But if you're in the mood for something else, Mubi has a bunch of options for you. For example, for the past month, they've been featuring indigenous short films made by Sundance Institute Fellows. On February 15th, they'll be presenting the online premiere of a film called The Staggering Girl, which premiered at Cannes last year and stars Julianne Moore. Mubi constantly has fresh picks from various genres and across time periods, and each one has been hand-selected to provide you with a curated catalog of films to check out. And you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay. Whether you want to check out the films I've mentioned or discover some of their other gems for yourself, you can do it all today at Mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. And in doing so, you'll also be helping to support this show. Thanks to Mubi for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Nora Ephron has said, you know, like, basically Sally is kind of her and a few other women that she knows and, like, talking to each other about relationships. And Harry is kind of Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal, basically. Mm -hmm. And she just kind of poured that into the two characters. And again, there was a lot of collaboration during the writing process. It's great. And isn't it 
I think I'm remembering this right, where Rob Reiner was going through a divorce while they were making it and then met his wife yes. while filming it. Correct. And that was like part of what inspired him to be okay with the happy ending. Because oh. he actually was able to have a happy ending. Because yes. at first that. he was like, there are no happy endings. Right. Can't he was right. Those, it's kind of like the Bill Murray and Groundhog Day thing a little bit. Because I think he had also just been... Oh, okay. it was like going through a divorce, and mm. so there was a, lo- a lot of the darkness of that movie came from that. I Interesting, think. Yeah. yeah, and and of course Nora Ephron had already gone through two divorces at that point, and mm-hmm. so that feeling of like when you, for me, there this movie is a masterclass in monologue writing in a few different places. Mm-hmm. It's so good, but the scene that I can't look away from is the one where they're talking, where they've met up after the bookstore. You, yeah, Michael's not a you, you know. Mm-hmm. She, well, first of all, Meg Ryan is just like radiant in this red sweater. It's incredible. <laughs> um, but she's talking about what happened with, between her and Joe and just sort of breaking that whole thing down and, and how she sort of longed to have a family and they didn't want the same things anymore. And it's just a really brilliant monologue how she's clearly telling a story that maybe she's told before or like told to herself before. So she's relating a narrative, which I think we often get when we talk about monologue writing, right? Like a character has to tell a story. Mm -hmm. But when you are going to have a character tell a story, it has to also reveal something about who they are deeply. It's what we've talked about before with subtext. And so when she's getting into that story where she's like, and the more that I think about it, the more I'm convinced I did the right (laughs) thing. And you can just, the pain is so on the surface of that story. It's, it's a brilliant performance on Meg Ryan's part, but it's also a well-written monologue where she's like, and now I have to make sense of this. So I'm going to come to a conclusion that has an okay ending that leads to me uh-huh. sitting at this table talking to this man I kind of barely know about why I'm fine. <laughs> it, right. It's Yeah. That's why the movie also resonates so hard because it, it, it doesn't pull punches when it comes no. to the reality of how do we deal with these incredibly painful feelings associated with divorce and with breaking up? It it doesn't paper it over with like a fun rom-com glitter. You know, mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. actually deals with them. And there's, there's a lot of like depression in this movie. And yeah. a lot of the movie, Billy Crystal's pretty sad. <laughs> Very <laughs> much so. And, yeah. and that's what Nora Ephron said about Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner, and especially Rob Reiner. She was like, he's depressed, but he's hilarious. <laughs> and like, what if I wrote a character like that? Right. Mm-hmm. Even just going back to that Meg Ryan scene, I I feel like I'm always struck by just the like the master shot, like oh, the yeah. wide shot of just like that setting of them like in this restaurant with and the it's white empty. brick, and it's yeah. There's like for some reason every time I see it, I'm like like it's so evocative, and I don't yes. like you just immediately get where they are and what's going on. Like the mood is just immediately conveyed. I've just always been in love with that shot. Well, yeah, it's it's smart because they meet at the bookstore. And so you get the feeling that they bump into each other because they're in the same costumes. So you get the feeling they bump into each other at the bookstore at like 2 p.m. And then they're like, let's go get a drink or something. And they end up in a restaurant at like 4, right? So right. there's so no, no dinner there. rush, right? right? Mm-hmm. It has this intimacy to it. And then they're still wearing those same outfits when we cut to them later where they're walking along the sidewalk and they decide to become friends. What a great three scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also a clever bit of storytelling where you see this sort of tension, you know, after the airplane ride, you know, and he's like, you want to go 
just get dinner as friends? She's like, no, I don't really want to. And there's this sort of like this constant tension between them. And then in this scene, they don't even have the line of like, let's go get coffee. It just cuts them getting coffee. And that's sort of a nice way to tell the audience, like, we've moved on into chapter two of Mm. Harry and Sally. Now they Mm -hmm. are comfortable with each other. They're just casually getting coffee. They don't have to like make a thing of it. They're just hanging out. And then it does something really interesting where you see that they are now have been friends for a little while where it does a voiceover montage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love like, that. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Instead of music, it's like you hear the actual like dialogue between them as you watch them mm-hmm. go through different stages of life. And I just think that's, it's cool. Yeah. I was noticing that and thinking about that, this watch through of it's so simple and so effective. Like why don't, people do it more because like it's a it's a dialogue scene where like what they're saying is important but you don't need to see them necessarily and and like you know you always have that choice as a filmmaker what are you showing what are you hearing they don't have to always be the same thing Mm -hmm. and so doing this montage of seeing like what their lives are what their day-to-day is how they're kind of forming this new relationship while hearing you know this scene that's happening then we kind of come into the end of it like it's just it's so a efficient and makes it so much more it's just so enjoyable right i think if you don't do it well then it's too much information you know and that's probably why you don't see it a lot is because if i'm trying to look at what's happening and listen to what they're talking about then i might get confused so you have to be careful with it um you have someone like soderbergh who does a lot of like the pre-lap thing where it's like Mm -hmm. right right. it'll just be like terrence stamp sitting on a plane but you'll hear the first like two minutes of the following scene and it's like why wasn't i just watching the next scene instead of (laughs) yeah sorry Another movie that does that really effectively, actually, is Eternal Sunshine. There is that whole Uh, little montage in the middle where we're just hearing them, you know, talk about their relationship. And it's very surreal, that movie anyway. Um, But that's sort of another reference point. But I agree with you, again, because so much of their relationship, and I love this, and this is why we also, I think, respond to movies like the Before Trilogy, this idea that talking to each other is how we find each other Mm -hmm. and so instead of using music where like imagine that scene you know where she's putting the envelopes in the mailbox and he's just like (laughs) oh my god give me those envelopes and stuff them in we're hearing them talk during that scene Mm -hmm. so we're hearing them connect even though what we're looking at looks like disconnect Mm -hmm. what we're hearing is conversation of them like finding each other and relating to each other and so this movie really relies again there are no outside circumstances that are forcing them to change. It's just this act of being in conversation with somebody who's different. I love the kind of conversations this movie presents to us because like the before trilogy, it's often about philosophies of life. Mm-hmm. And how do you deal with this seemingly intractable life problem about relationships or about friendship or what have you? And those are the conversations that do bring me closer to people, you know, whether it's my friends or loved ones like when it gets real, when you get to those kind of philosophical questions about how do we live, that's where you really connect. And I, I wish I saw more movies that presented that, you know, because that, that is those are the most meaningful conversations in my life. And it seems like in film, usually conversations are used more for just dramatic story progression. And this movie allows the conversations to just be about the kind of philosophy. And it, it's just so refreshing to get to savor that for a while and and it's philosophy in service of revealing character of course but 
but right. just, I don't I don't I wish I had more of it in, yeah. in cinema because I feel like the story is the characters is exactly. them trying to figure right. out that philosophy and that's what's yeah it's such a rare and it's presented up front thing. which is so brilliant too like, mm-hmm. like their Men first women can't be friends their first conversation in the car basically yeah. um, and it's the whole movie is grappling with that that idea and and it's also a very real conundrum it, it's 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 not like it's a movie idea it's like it's an actual thing that people are dealing with in real life yeah 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 i feel like that's i think before sunset also kind of does this where it it asks questions that i'm like oh that is an interesting question like what do i think about this and so like i'm yeah. thinking about it while i'm listening to them think about it and, and talk about it and so it makes the audience engage also because you're you know you're listening to this debate happen that you're invested in but you're also being told the story and it's it and, just and pulls you and in. And it's a good debate. Like mm-hmm. they both have really it's strong, strong yeah. perspectives. I love the way Harry lays things out. You know, he just he's he's so methodical. <laughs> Such and, an ass. Yeah. <laughs> but but he's also like often speaking truth, you sure. know. Like the way he lays things out is so enjoyable because he's he's thought of the worst case scenario for everything and he lays it out so meticulously. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually a real pleasure to listen to. Returning to the diner scene, I think that's why that scene I mean, partly because it's sort of an incendiary topic of conversation, but also I think it resonates because, like, we see Sally win. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Which, like, almost (laughs) always because Harry is so willing to be a jerk, he almost always wins, right? Sally's nice by comparison. Like, even when she's sort of sparring back, she's not as willing to, like, fight dirty mm. as Harry is. She also hasn't thought this through the way right, he has, so exactly. she's not, like, equipped. Yeah. yeah, Right, but there are a couple scenes where we see Sally really fight back and level, and one is when one is in the diner scene where she's like, oh, okay, yo, you think you have it figured out? Mm. Let me just enlighten you about that real quick. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> like, watching it again, it's such a classic scene. I have a kind of a stereotype of it in my mind, yeah. mm-hmm. but how much she commits to oh, that performance amazing. is incredible. It's it's not because she writes this line. It could just be like a goofy cartoonish version of itself, but she really commits to like various stages of the performance. Oh, like so she does good. the whole thing. It's yeah, yeah. so great. And it's also one of those, this sort of keep going jokes where yes. you, you kind of stop laughing and then you start laughing. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like, yes. oh, we're still here. I love the moment where he realizes what she's doing. Yeah. Cause at first he's like, mm-hmm. Oh, what are you okay? What's right. going on? And he's like, ah, <laughs> he's like, I guess I'll be sitting here during all of this then until it's over. And then the first time, <laughs> the, the first cut to the woman who says, I'll have what she's oh, having. She's just amazing. sort of like the, the look on her face is so perfect. Estelle, Estelle Reiner. Right. Rob Reiner's yeah, mother. Yeah. God bless. You could see that scene in a modern day rom-com, but it would just be, oh, it's funny because like It'd be sex annoying. noises. It'd be right. annoying. Right. But this is like, like you're saying, Trish, it's, there's character things happening. Like the story is progressing and it's also this goofy, crazy, embarrassing, hilarious moment. Well, and I actually think it goes back now that you mentioned that moment, which I also really love, where he's having her talk weird in the museum, Brian, Mm -hmm. where she looks off screen and you can see she's kind of embarrassed Mm -hmm. that they're talking weird. And mm-hmm. then so to have her like put herself out there and it's right. like people are staring, I don't care, yeah. is another like you love to see her win. But then the other moment where she really wins is when he's being a jerk to everybody. The and wagon wheels. The oh, wagon yeah. wheel coffee table mm-hmm. scene. Uh, outside the apartment. Outside, yeah. yeah. Where she really lays into him about like you're taking this out on me because you're mad about this thing. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. And also like 
you and I don't think the same thing about sex and stop acting like your way is right. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. It's really awesome to see her and to be, you know, this movie is rated R, but it's not that profane Mm -hmm. or like that raunchy, all things considered. But they it like uses its R rating really wisely. It's not gratuitous. Right. It's not like Logan where you have to like (laughs) cut everyone up and flash people and stuff. Right. But then to hear like to hear Sally drop an F-bomb is powerful. Right. And I love in that scene also that that doesn't spawn 20 minutes of, well, now they're not talking and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, he says a very genuine, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I appreciate that. And I feel like it's in the performance that it works, really. But I I think it's nice to see him admit that, like, Sally is right. I feel like that's that moment is a big moment for them as a couple. Yeah. I love his switch, too, where you aren't sure what he's going to say, where she just kind of goes off. And then he's like, are you done? And she's like, I think so. And he's like, okay, I'm really sorry. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> the switch is beautiful. Also, her performance during her, like, freak out um, when she finds out Joe's getting married. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. Because I think that, like, I not that I ever thought Meg Ryan wasn't a good actor or anything, but I just always thought, like, oh, she's just one of those people who's there for the performance, you know? <laughs> and uh, and then, One of those people. <laughs> I don't, you know, like. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, it's, I, it's like, it's like. We we think sometimes of she's like she's not Laurence Olivier, yeah. right? <laughs> and we I think we sometimes think of like rom com performances, and she's we do she's, she's associated with the rom com, exactly, yeah. and we think of them mm-hmm. as like lesser than right. the Oscar, you know, which is BS for the record, of right. course. Yeah, right. but this especially movie proves, yeah. especially when you have like Billy Crystal is like doing Billy Crystal stand up the whole movie, so it's like <laughs> that's a more like I'm not saying it's a better performance, I'm saying it's a more memorable like oh I remember the things that he did, but then watching her. First of all, go from like where she is at the beginning of the movie to like how she sort of like uh, lets herself open up a lot and everything. But then to have her in a moment where she is freaking out and she is like so emotional, but also charming. And like there's just so much going on on her Mm -hmm. face. Like it's really it's really cool. Well, Mm -hmm. I I really find her performance in the kind of third act of the movie to be really powerful and touching. Mm -hmm. The idea that she presents to Billy Crystal by the end of the movie which is like, I'm not your consolation prize. Yes. Yeah. It, that hits so hard. And the way she is with him in that final third of the movie, you feel so much pain under the surface of that idea of he doesn't want to commit. He doesn't want to actually go all in. She's his mm-hmm. backup in a lot of ways. And how painful that feels, you know, to be yeah. that person in that relationship. Yeah. yeah. It is a smart, it doesn't feel on the nose, but it's a smart echo of her, what happens with her and Joe, right? Mm. Where she's like, I just kept saying to myself, he doesn't want to get married, but the truth is he doesn't want to marry me. Right. And so she gets into that same place with Harry when like after they sleep together, he like leaves and she's like, oh, he doesn't want to be with me, right? I'm not special. Right. Mm. That feeling of like, I should be special. I'm the best friend. Like if he slept with me, it should be special. And then it feels like it isn't it. You really I agree with you. That scene where he's kind of trying to apologize at the wedding and she's like, get out of my face. This isn't mm-hmm. how any. Yeah, of it I was totally like, I think when I saw it in my early 20s, I wasn't as identified with any of the characters, but I was like super with her this time. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. This, like, You're a jerk, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, sh- she's right. Yeah. <laughs> But I also appreciate that his experience of it, like I could, I find it believable that he doesn't realize what he's doing is being a jerk. That like in his head, he thinks he's preserving this thing that is nice. And it takes that wake up call from her to make him realize, oh, that is what I'm doing. Like I am being a jerk. And which is kind of interesting because I was watching it last night and trying to 
be like who who is like the protagonist who like what is all that stuff and i feel like harry's the one that makes, it's actually harry yeah but yeah, like is. only because like but like by a hair yeah, and yeah, the yeah. last it's a like, photo finish right yeah exactly <laughs> but he's the one that has to make the final like character change and choice and realize this he stands in a park and has a realization and then runs somewhere right. we introduced <laughs> voiceover yeah just at the very end there that's which is weird maybe the only like kind of bump in the movie yeah. for me of like okay i guess we can hear his thoughts now inconsistencies <laughs> in general are just like mm. yeah because for most of the movie, they do a great job of... It's a very even-handed... Yeah. When, so I, there's just constant comparison happening, which yes. like we need to talk about the supporting characters mm. and Carrie Fisher. Yes! Carrie Fisher! <laughs> so Listen, amazing. When she pulls out the Rolodex, <laughs> it made me so happy. It's the best <laughs> moment, that whole bit, yeah. and how she folds the corner yes. down is yes. so perfect. Brilliant. Married. And her performance when she and um, Jess like kind of have a realize they have a thing together. She's like, I've never said that. Isn't it crazy? Like she just she's very real in her yeah. interacting. And I remember seeing it for the first time and never having seen Carrie Fisher as not Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Right. And that being... She's actually hard to place if you're not like... Right. If it's, you're young you're and not... you're not ready for it. Yeah. Right. And so there's definitely <laughs> that moment of like, wait a minute, is that Princess Leia? Like, oh, Carrie... Right. She was an actress. She was probably in other things. <laughs> uh, and then like having it be this delightful, amazing performance was just like icing on the cake of mm-hmm. and She everything. and Bruno Kirby, who is the actor who plays Jess. Yeah. yeah. Just what chemistry. They're so delightful together. but So it's, lovable. It's exactly what you were talking about in the video, though, Michael, is that, yeah, this movie doesn't have a quote unquote subplot, right? Something like contrived that's happening in their careers that makes them change. Or the or you've whatever. got mail, like I'm going to buy your bookstore. Right. Which right. I like you've got mail, but <laughs> it's, it's cute. It's, it's, it's not different. when Harry met Sally level. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is that the the arc between people like uh, Jess and Marie, I guess is Carrie Fisher's name, Jess and Marie, how willing they are to put themselves out there quickly, jump on a good thing, get mm-hmm. with it. Like, So when Har- Harry and Sally go through this entire huge arc where they're not together for 12 years and Jess and Marie immediately like stick together, stay together, it's really, that contrast is really important. It is a subplot. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a contrived subplot because right. we know these characters and we meet them this is actually important. I think we meet them apart from each other. Yes. So we meet Jess in that scene where they're doing the wave and we meet Marie in that amazing scene with the Rolodex. And so we see how, and, and that's actually, they don't meet probably until the midpoint, I would say. I didn't, yeah. I didn't yeah. like look at the time code or anything when they actually meet for the first time. It's a really important contrast where we start to see how like, not everyone is this hung up. You right. guys actually right. could figure it out. Obviously, right. the big difference is that Jess and Marie just sort of like they like just each other. meet each other, but they also like each other right away. Mm. Like with Harry and Sally, you have this sort of well, this was my first impression of you and my second impression of you. So like, even if we're like friends now, that's still what was in my. It's still in my brain. It's hard mm-hmm. for you. It's hard to like separate your first impression of something sometimes you know so i think that yeah there's obviously a difference but yes the the theme is look at these people who found each other and are together you two idiots right <laughs> like, like literally left on the sidewalk <laughs> right? yeah. yeah look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, 
and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And so this is kind of a question that I'm curious about. Because every time I watch it, I have different thoughts. But like, when... Do Harry and Sally realize they love oh, each other? Oh, okay. I want to talk. This is like literally okay. the last thing I wanted to he talk about. He was jumping on that question. Well, because Trisha, uh, first of all, I have my notes and it's the last thing I haven't <laughs> said yet. Um, but Trisha, you were talking about the structure of romantic comedies. And most people you say, what's a romantic comedy about? And they say, oh, it's about two people who get together at the end. And like you were saying, it's usually not. It's usually they get together at the right. midpoint. And then the rest of the movie is them sort of like, sorting sorting it out you know right. pulling away usually. right and you know i the last two romantic comedies i watched other than this were, were both from 2019 and i won't say what they are just because you know spoiler but in both of them like the couple gets together in the middle of the movie and they both want to be together i have a guess at what they are mm-hmm. okay um and uh and one because of more internal uh conflict and one because of more external conflicts then they are separated for the second half of the movie and obviously then the climax and what i love about this about when harry met sally is it's the quietest midpoint maybe of any movie ever. And this is the moment where they both realize it. And I will fight any of you if you say it's not, which is them dancing at New Year's. New Year's. Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, it's, it's obvious, but like when you think about... We're not going to fight you. Right. <laughs> it's so clear. But, no but one's fighting but I ha- here. Well, continue. Oh, and then Michael might fight you. I'm not going to fight okay. you, but continue. But, but here's the, like, I think structurally is why it's so interesting is because first of all, it's this moment where it's such a beautifully directed and played moment yes, yes, by yes. everybody involved where you're like, well, the movie's over now. Like clearly <laughs> they realize and like, it's just this, like you're, you can't pull away from them and everything looks fine, but it's not just that then of course they don't, nothing happens and complications arise, but it is, if you look at the movie structurally, the first half of the movie is leading up to this point of them both having this realization. And then the second half of the movie is all, the complications that arise of that. And that's like exactly what a midpoint should do. And it is the quietest, you know, moment Mm -hmm. in the movie. And I think that's really cool. Right. Cause after that is, I think right after that is then the dinner scene where they're trying to set each other up with their best friends. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, like we're going to take actions. They're aggressively taking action. To prove that we're not together. To avoid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. I completely agree. It's such an amazing. But what was your thought, Michael? Well, so my, the only thought that complicates this is on one of the viewings that I had done, uh, when, in the paprikash scene, <laughs> when they're whatever he's there saying. is too much pepper on my paprikash, but yes. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. Pecan. Um, in that scene, he says <laughs> weirdest sounds that have been made on this podcast <laughs> yet. Um, but you forget Brian's Gungan impression. <laughs> oh, that's true. Never mind. We did the Star Wars episodes. That's true. In that scene, he's saying, "Do you want to go see a movie later?" and She's oh, like, yeah. oh, I can't. And he's like, what, do you have a hot date? And she's like, oh, well, yeah, like I was afraid to tell you. I wasn't sure because of how mm. much time we were spending. And he's like, oh, no, I think that's great that you have a date. And there's this tiny moment that she yeah. has where it's like, I don't I don't know that it's her realizing everything, obviously, but I feel like she's clocking that she's kind of disappointed that he isn't more upset about it is how I read it anyway. Sure. But I, I like think sowing the beginning of the seeds. Oh, I, definitely. I, I don't disagree with that. And I think that that is a frustrating thing that you find. It's not frustrating in this movie. It's a frustrating thing you find on usually sitcoms and like sort of like average romantic comedies where it's, 
oh, did you mean like as a date? Well, no, no, I didn't mean that. Oh, okay, good. Cause I, and they both like want to be together, but they just, because I, they're too proud to just say like, yeah, I wanted to. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I've, I've definitely had that where I've like, you know, texted someone and they're like, um, I'm like, Hey, you know, I just take you out. And they're like, Oh, well, did you mean like as a date? Cause like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> like if you don't want to, that's cool. But that's 100% what I meant. Yeah. I think most of the time in, in real life, if two people like each other, I don't know. They, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Michael, but he's making a face of me. I mean, in my, you've known me a long time. In my experience, if two people like really like each other, it just becomes clear pretty quickly. But the history, but I'm also gay and deal with men. So I don't know. Maybe there's a difference. Uh, I deal with men. Yeah, I deal with men only. Uh, so maybe I don't know. But I, I feel like this movie sets it up so that I believe it. Like I believe right. it in this film. Mm-hmm. Why in all these moments, it's not super clear to them because mm-hmm. their their history is so specific. Well, and I think yeah. to one of the necessary pieces of this and it goes back to like how wise it is to have the passage of time. An easy way to do this movie or like a cheaper way to do this movie would be to sort of have that underlying attraction in almost every scene. Mm-hmm. So like that weird dynamic where she's like, "Oh, I felt weird to tell you about it because we've been spending so much time together." If you kind of had that in every scene, it would f- it would actually undercut the importance of their friendship right because mm-hmm. the reason that they have they're, a real friendship they which have is a so real friendship cool exactly yeah and so the reason that they don't even when they sleep together that they don't want to be together is because they're risking a friendship right mm-hmm. if they try to be together and it doesn't work out then they're losing some real relationship that's incredibly meaningful in their yes. lives and so it's actually smarter in the movie to have those scenes where they really are just friends mm-hmm. where they're just hauling their tree up from the corner and they're just, you know, putting letters in a mailbox. That's why that built-in stuff is so important where we don't see there's not a sexual component to it. They're just genuinely friends and it is platonic and they're great together. We understand that that's the potential cost of pursuing this. And so their fear makes sense. Their fear feels earned. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Like those are the stakes. And I think that's also why the film is so moving is because I think in my experience, like, again, good relationships, like, you have to be friends with your partner. And I feel like a lot of rom-coms just kind of skip that. And it's like, it totally meets do. girl. Well, and it's then, the like, happily ever, ever after kind of, I don't know, thing where as a kid you see so many movies of just like, I just met you. I'm a male. You're a female. And now it's over. And we're going to kiss. And <laughs> we're now, also royalty. Yeah. And it's just, there's, there's a total, I don't know, there's something really strange about that where there's nothing besides like the basic biological necessities are in place and nothing else. There's no friendship. There's no connection. There's just, I'm the guy, you're the girl in this movie and that's it. And that goes back to timeline Mm -hmm. again. Like if you're only going to spend two days with these characters, then it's impossible for them to form a meaningful relationship, especially in modern life for us modern viewers to feel connected to. Yes. So if you really want us to invest in a relationship, in this day and age, in 2020, you better have some weight inherently built into it. People who know each other at least a little bit. Like, it's fun to watch 
hot people like each other and get it on. <laughs> but that's not a rom-com. We want right. something that's a little bit more lasting and weighty in terms of like, wh- what is it like to meet a person who will actually change your life? We have to see some of that life, some of that distance. Yeah. Right. Agreed. And and I think, again, why I like that moment with Sally kind of realizing that she's disappointed that he's more upset is I think that's a really... That feels very honest and true to life. Absolutely. Also a way of realizing because like humans are bad at knowing what they want a lot of the time. Aren't we? And so that feels like it's only when you're disappointed that you realize what you wanted. Right. Right. It's like, wait a minute. Why am I disappointed by this? I feel like there's some experience with that. So. um, (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's why this movie gets better with age because we have more life experiences and we realize all these subtle little things. There is just, again, wanting to harken back to the dialogue really quickly there's a reason why so many of the lines in this movie are so iconic now um and it's not just because of the way they're delivered although it is it's because there is something really salient and well observed about them and so yeah just wanted to go back to that choice of like writing something that you've actually like lived but then being able to sum up that sort of lesson in like a really quick like almost like a one-liner or a couple of lines and so that like harry's bluntness towards that is iconic as is Sally sort of like whoa 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 you can't just say that thing um I don't know I love the I love the dynamic between the two of them and I just think that Nora Ephron is a genius and really really she was nominated for an Oscar for this mm-hmm. so, well, and you can just well t- you can tell it comes from experience exactly you know movies that like this that are just really about modern life it, they don't ring true as much as this one does if it doesn't come from direct experience right and it's just beautiful to see it. Yeah. And it goes back to a thing we've talked about before, which is if you're going to write a thing where you want someone to have a catharsis, you probably should have a catharsis. Like right. if you want to be honest, then talk about whatever you're wrestling with. And clearly that was going on with all of the people who are involved in making this. You're right. You're right. I know you're right. <laughs> Hey, listeners, Brian here. I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to Beyond the Screenplay. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to help us make more episodes, you can become a patron on Patreon. Patrons get access to exclusive episodes and Q&As like what we really thought about once upon a time in Hollywood. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. Why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take away from when Harry met Sally. Brian, would you like to start us off? Sure. Um, we actually were just touching on it uh, with the the characters and their friendship and them liking each other. Something I thought while rewatching the movie was that I like just seeing characters enjoy each other's company, and there's not always conflict there. Mm-hmm. And then, then I rewatched your video, Michael, which I hadn't seen in quite a while, and you talk, quote Nora Ephron talking about. They're not being external conflict, these big, like, oh, the company's moving and they have to blah, blah, blah. And I thought, uh, how interesting that my takeaway was that there's not as much internal conflict. And obviously, this movie is Mm. full of conflict. It's full of characters arguing. But I think what you talked about of jumping ahead where they're not really friends, they're just in a relationship together and we don't really know why is what this movie doesn't do. It has them fighting a lot at the beginning. Like first act is fighting. Second act is they just enjoy being around each other and they might argue about a philosophical point. Right. But for the most part, there are just scenes where they're just hanging out and they're just having fun together. And then even, even the scene outside the apartment where they fight and then they hug at the end, say, I'm sorry, you know, and that's so true to life too. How many friends you, I, I was once in an argument having, 
having a very long argument with a friend of mine, and we were in our Halloween costumes. <laughs> <laughs> it was Halloween. Uh, <laughs> and we were in a parking garage, and we had, like, argued from, like, Santa Monica Boulevard through, like, on a cab to, like, getting out of the cab. Into, and he just stops at one point, and he goes, hey, can I just say how ridiculous we look right now? This is hilarious. <laughs> and I like that we were both sort of so yep. conscious to say, like, we're, we'll be fine tomorrow. Like, so we mm. can stop and say, like, let's appreciate this moment. But also we're arguing. And I like I love that. Um, so I think it's just it's it's something movies don't maybe do enough because you always are conflict, conflict, conflict. So it's like, just show me why these characters like each other and why they want to mm. spend time together. And also, I think there's the tendency just because of how short movies are to interpret conflict as a threat to a relationship, but Hmm. that's not true to life, right? Mm -hmm, So like in movie world, if two characters are fighting that were together, oh no, they're going to break up, right? Right. It's like if somebody in a movie coughs, they're for sure going to die. It's that kind of thing. (laughs) Exactly. And so like we have this like film language signal where it's like these two people love each other, but they're fighting. I guess their relationship's over. But in real life, we all know that being in long-term relationships means you're going to fight with your partner sometimes, but that doesn't mean that you're going to break up. It's not mm-hmm. actually threatening the relationship. Right. And also friendships are the same way. It's like you're going to fight with your friends, and that doesn't mean it's going to die or it's going to be the end of the world. And so that also has that verisimilitude where it like rings true to us. It almost like underscores the strength of the relationship. Yes. Exactly. Yes. You can, you can survive. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Trisha? Sure. I just want to go back to some monologue crafting stuff because I was paying attention to these monologues. And to me, there are there are many that are really excellent. But just going back to the one with Meg Ryan in that scene that we talked about in the cafe where they're talking about what happened in her relationship with Joe and why they split up. And then also thinking about Harry's monologue at the end, I just want to hail to the like three quarters of the way through the monologue tiny prompt from the other person where like (laughs) Billy Crystal delivers this long monologue on the rooftop where he's like, you're the last person I want to talk to when I go to bed. You're the first person I want to see like da da da. And she's like, that's just like you, Harry. And she has her own little moment and then they get together. But then also in that scene where she's talking about like, uh, you know, and, and I said, I want this. And he said, well, I don't. And then he left and she's like, you know, we never do fly off to Paris. And he goes, and the kitchen floor. Like, just that <laughs> moment. She's like, just really cold, hard ceramic yeah. tile. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, having that little interaction or little interruption in a monologue is yeah. sometimes like the best moment hmm. where, because it often is that way. We say something and like deliver a monologue and then someone else goes, but actually and then we kind of adjust or switch or whatever and it reveals a new truth mm-hmm. i think this movie's great at that when it signals that the other person is listening and engaged right. and being affected by it of course and not just i've sat here and listened to you speak for two minutes and now i've changed my mind like you kind of you, yeah you buy that it's a, a process that's happening in the other person yeah it yeah it it deepens the relationship that's happening so it's not the monologue is not one-sided but it also has the ability to affect the person who's monologuing and sort of make them go a different way or mm-hmm. make them realize something new. Mm-hmm. So. Which also helps give the monologue some objective to it. Because, exactly. You know, like, Where's it, what's the actual point? Right. Yeah. Because we're not good at right, realizing that ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We ramble. I don't. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. I ramble. <laughs> Alex. I think I, I mentioned this earlier, but the lesson I'm taking away from this movie is how engaging it is to ask 
truly intractable questions and then watch characters wrestle with them for an entire movie. And so the idea of can a man and woman be friends if they're attracted to each other? And within that friendship, what happens if you do have sex? Can there be a friendship afterwards? Like these are really actual difficult questions that don't really have a clear answer. And it, that's why it's so riveting in this movie to watch them engage with them because we don't know the answer to the question. Right. There it's, isn't one answer. Yeah, it's not. there's not a clear solution. And, uh, and I think just building a movie around a question like that, that we all have had at some point in our lives, mm-hmm. but and don't really know how to deal with, is really engaging. And not many movies ask those kind of modern, intractable questions. So... I, I would like to see more movies do that. That's my lesson. I like that lesson. Yeah. Michael? Yeah, we, we've kind of already talked about it, but I think time and the power of time. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, like, I think one of the first lessons I learned in film school was, you know, talking about film language and the power of film is like in a cut, in an instant, you can be on the other side of the planet and like a hundred years in the future and like kind of all that, you know, heady filmy stuff. She doesn't want a space odyssey. Right. But it's also true. Like that is what's so powerful about film is that it can manipulate time in a way that's like kind of bizarre if you stop and think about it. Like I was just looking at a picture of someone a hundred years ago and now it's a hundred years in the future and my brain's like, yep, continue. Like, (laughs) sure. Uh, And I think me, when I write, I tend to think very like almost real time with things. And I think this movie is such a great example of how you can use the passage of time really powerfully. Yeah. And that like there are parts, you know, at one point in the movie, it's just like, we're going to play some Christmas music and you're just going to watch people skate for like 30 seconds. And like, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, this is great. Like, I love it. Time's passing. Okay, great. And like the, that can be like fun and engaging and, and serve a, a greater purpose also. So not being afraid to use time i think is is a lesson that i'm taking away from this yeah i think it has to do also with again because there are not really subplots per se that when we when five years go by we don't go wait wait what what did we miss Mm, because literally nothing else is happening in these characters lives as far as we can tell right except their interactions with each other we don't know about their jobs or about their who cares families there's like one shot of him in his office where he's watching the little like bird dip in a thing and then there's one shot of her on like the oldest computer ever and i feel like that's all we see of like their jobs it's so nice to have a movie like a modern rom-com that's not about jobs you yeah. know, there's, there's mm. no workplace stuff. It's just yeah. kind of refreshing. Yeah. Also, this is a really a modern rom-com at this point. But sure. 1989. But, but yeah. Whatever. Yeah. In Michael's world, 1989 is the farthest back. Not movie. like <laughs> not a 1950s screwball. It's actually yeah, 30 yeah, yeah. years ago. Right. But but I feel like I guess what I'm getting from what you're saying is right, that right. it still feels modern, or at least yes. That's yes. when you're saying that it feels well, modern to I, me. It still feels like it's about quote unquote modern life right. and, yeah. and partially yeah. because I think there's a resistance to including stuff about jobs or politics or anything like that yes. it's not about yeah. any of that it's about something that's timeless yes yeah. awesome uh, why don't we go around and say what we've been watching recently Alex so I just saw Little Women last night and Woo-hoo. I really enjoyed it it was it was <laughs> for me it was it was interesting because I mean I love the actors I love especially uh, Saoirse Ronan and uh Florence Pugh. Thank you. Like you knew exactly. <laughs> I've got you. I've got yeah. you. I was thinking the name Amy for some reason, but of course, it's Florence fair. Pugh, she's a goddess. Yeah, I, I think, think so. she's amazing. Like, 
her performance in Midsummer like changed my life kind of. She's so good. And everything she's in, I'm just captivated by her. So Little Woman is no exception. Um, although I feel like I, I wish she was nominated for other things, like you said, Brian. Mm-hmm. I think she's great in everything, but her performances in Midsummer, uh, and I, I haven't seen Fighting with My Family, but mm-hmm. I, I hear she's amazing in that. Anyway, great performances. It was kind of like the experience of watching it reminded me of being almost a kid watching like a Christmas movie in childhood. Mm. Like there was something so like wholesome about it sure. in, in like a, in a sweet way that I'm totally down for, but it, I was a little bit distanced from it at times because it felt almost dated in its wholesomeness. Mm. I have a quick question. Yeah. How familiar were you with the story? Zero. Okay. So <laughs> I have talked to a number of men, uh-huh. mostly men, I'm sure there are women out there who are also not familiar with the story, but most of the women I talked to were. And I also really was familiar with the story. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this cheat code almost where if you're familiar with something, so like, I don't know, just imagine like a story you guys are really familiar with. And I have no idea what that would be from like the 1800s. Like imagine like a literary <laughs> story that like y- everyone knows everything about, right? And and then imagine it's been adapted six times a into Christmas movies, carol. right? Oh, sure, A Christmas Carol, great. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we all know who Ebenezer Scrooge is, and we all know who all of that is. Right, right, So right. like, imagine coming into the modern Little Women with that sort of weight into mm-hmm. the characters mm-hmm. and with that sort of emotionality and like familiarity with the story. That was how I felt about it anyway, and so... So what was it like for you watching it? Really interesting, because... Again, when you're dealing with a, an oft-revisited or adapt property, you also have sort of this tension of like, is it going to be, is it going to check all of the th- boxes of things that I love about this? Or is it going to be different in a way that I find unpleasant or whatever? And so there are things that Greta Gerwig does in this adaptation that I really, really appreciate. There's a lot of, there's a big meta aspect to the movie. So, Absolutely, yeah. Which she highlights and a lot of the other adaptations have not. So, like, the 94 version, which I love a lot, has none of that in it, basically, where, like, it's about Louisa May Alcott. It's about her relationship with her mom and her real sisters and her publisher and how hard she fought to get this book published. And all of that stuff is built into Greta Gerwig's version in a way that it's not into, like, some of the yeah, older I, adaptations. Yeah, and I love that aspect I of love it. that aspect, yeah. too. But then some of the other stuff about it is this... I don't know. She's highlighting different parts that we haven't seen before. And in some ways, you're kind of layering your experience on top of all of the other ones you've already had. So not in like a negative comparative way, but it's sort of like another note joining a chorus that's sort of like all singing the same song. And so I'm yeah, curious always to hear the responses mm. of people who are new to it. But well, my favorite aspects of it were I love the Paris scenes with Laurie and Amy. Sure. I love those performances. I was really engaged with that storyline. And I think the way it paid off at the end of the movie was really satisfying. So I, I I get the Little Woman thing from watching this adaptation of it. But there were some parts where I it was a little bit hallmarky and it was a little bit it felt almost almost dated in a, in a sweet way where I was like wrapped in a warm blanket sipping hot cocoa. That's how I felt watching it. I, yeah. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. I felt that way too. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so my, what I'm watching kind of ties into what you were just talking about, Trisha, where, so I've been watching the Witcher. The okay. series on Oh, it actually would be kind of similar. I would imagine slowly. I finally, I'm only halfway through, but it's this really interesting experience. Cause you went, when it came out, I saw on Twitter and was like making memes about how bad it was. And Alex, you were telling me about your experience watching it and how it wasn't living up to expectations, maybe. 
and so I sat down to watch it, uh, just completely curious and open to what it would be and kind of expecting it to be terrible. And I've been like super into it. Oh. But I don't know that that means it's good. Right. Because I've played the games and I am already invested in these characters and this kind of this weird experiment is I think what's kind of been interesting about watching it is it feels like a really expensive, like pretty version of like, I'm going to tell you some backstory. Like, so it's it's been really enjoyable to watch for me as someone's already played the game and is really invested in these characters but I also can see how if you weren't that, then it would be really boring and weird and bonkers and you wouldn't understand the world at all. I wanted to get into it and I I was intrigued by the world, but the world was so bonkers and the rules were so unclear and the boundaries of the world were so all over the place. I was just, I was very lost in the first two episodes. See, it's, it's that weird thing where like, <laughs> I was watching it being like, wow, they really captured this world in a really like impressive way. Cool. Um, so, but, and it's also been interesting seeing, you know, characters like actors have to play these characters that don't necessarily look like the video game model versions of themselves and like wrestling with, am I okay that this person looks that way and like doesn't have this person's voice? Is that person's voice too right. similar to the the video game? So it's just been this really fascinating experience that overall I'm really enjoying. I feel like it's the first thing like this that we've had. And so I'm, I'm enjoying mining it for all these little pieces of, of potentially useful things for future adaptations. Yeah, how how video do you games. adapt a video game? It's, right. it's, it's a big challenge. Well, yeah. You choose a video game that's based on a book series. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, The Witcher has books to like actually go off of. Yeah. Right. So my what am I watching is something I have not seen yet. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so both... <laughs> What just happened? If you're wondering, that's the Inception blog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Why do they need to wonder? I thought that was com- completely clear. So Michael and Trisha have both already done uh, Sean Eastrich's um, uh, Missing Frames podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, where you talk about a movie you haven't seen, watch the movie, and then talk about it again. For me, it was The Exorcist. Yeah. And for mm-hmm. Trisha, it was... I did Steven Spielberg's AI. AI. Um, And I was listening to those going, well, what would my movie be? Oh, I know. It would be the biggest pop culture blind spot I have, which is that I've never seen Titanic. Ooh. Mm. Um, It's pretty incredible that you haven't seen Titanic. I know. And and I'm going to talk about it on the podcast why I haven't seen it, mostly because I was a goth 15-year-old when it came out. (laughs) So, like, why would I? Um, (laughs) And then, but why I haven't seen it since is a weird question. Um, But I have tickets to see it in in a movie palace in downtown Los cool. Angeles. Ooh. So I'm pretty excited for that to be my first experience. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I haven't seen it. I assume it's like a 90-minute romantic comedy about some kids who meet on a boat and you like got it. Yeah, yeah. end up yep. together and everything's good. Yeah. So we're recording this podcast before any of this has happened. But the plan is that this podcast and that podcast will both be out on Valentine's Day. So check it out, Missing Frames, to hear my thoughts on Titanic. Link will be in the show notes. Nice. Alex and I went and saw titanic in 3d when it came out in 3d and wow. it was one of the best 3d experiences i've ever had james cameron man it's a really good movie it's and a great movie. we should cover it on the channel i definitely didn't see it when it first came out and mm. then i saw it on the 10 year anniversary and i went to a big old beautiful movie theater to nice. see it also wow. so definitely you didn't see it when it came out 
No, because of boobs. Yeah, because <laughs> of boobies. And Christian family. <laughs> did they know there were boobs beforehand? Oh, everyone knew. It's I did not t- know. Michael. I was sitting next to my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's in the title of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the worst is the weird sweaty car sex next to your parents. Well, yeah. Third Brian time Alex it. has mentioned that on the podcast. <laughs> it's the worst. It was the worst. It scarred me, Trisha. All right, my what am I watching? I decided I needed to. Go back in time a little bit and watch the prequel to When Harry Met Sally. In a way, I decided to watch Heartburn, um, which is a Nora Ephron written movie from 1986 starring Meryl Streep, our queen, and Jack Nicholson, based on Nora Ephron's novel about her own divorce. So it is really interesting. Hmm. Um, I watched it today. It's directed by Mike Nichols, uh, hmm. and Meryl Streep is amazing in every minute of it. Jack Nicholson's great. Uh, it's also got Jeff Daniels and Stucker Channing, Catherine O'Hara, Kevin Spacey in a totally insane, what? weird, what? like one scene role. Um, and huh. Joanna Gleason, who I really love. But it's very autobiographical. I've read Heartburn, Nora Ephron's book about her second divorce. So she was pregnant with her second child, with her second husband, and found out that he was having an affair. And it was basically just like, what in the world do I do with any of this now? And Meryl Streep plays that character. It's really emotional, moving. Meryl Streep is a gorgeous mess during most (laughs) of this movie. It's just really lovely to watch. I mean, it has an inherent darkness, of course, that When Harry Met Sally kind of doesn't have. And it's not such a straight-ahead comedy. It doesn't have some of the slapstick elements that we were talking about with Billy Crystal and some of the, like, physical comedy and things like that. Um, And it... You, you can see like Meryl Streep bringing a little like Kramer versus Kramer to it where she's got a kid mm. that she's worried about. and She's pregnant as well during most of most of the movie. But she plays a food critic who's like really smart. And um, I don't know. It's just it's a great. I really, really enjoyed what it. What year was it released? 86. Oh, OK. Yeah. So and it's on your canopy. So if canopy with a K, it's your public library app. You can watch it on your canopy. But it's also I think it's also actually also on Prime. Um, but yeah, it was a really fun watch. And I felt like I even though I've read that book and I've seen basically all of Nora Ephron's movies, it was kind of a blind spot for me. Hmm. And it feels like, you know, her that much better. And it gives some context even for when Harry met Sally. So it's great. Awesome. Cool. Well, this has been our conversation about When Harry Met Sally. <clears throat> Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you especially to the patrons for supporting this podcast and making it possible. And we will see you all in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.